0: God gave a vision to Balaam, who was not a member of God's chosen people. Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. These are the first words of a prophecy from Balaam. His prophecy applies to his time, and times still in the old testament but like other prophecies it also applies to a time further in the future balaam is predicting the coming of the messiah when he says i see him but not now i perceive him but not near a star will come from jacob and a scepter will arise from israel other places in the Old Testament where a prophet speaks he is prophesying concerning times close at hand he is also prophesying about the more distant coming of the Messiah the prophecy becomes clear when it is fulfilled Balaam prophesied of the future coming of the Messiah but Balaam still had a wicked heart he told the king he couldn't curse the Israelites He told the king that the king's army couldn't win against the Israelites. But he also told the king how it was possible to deal a terrible blow to the Israelites by tempting them to turn their backs against the God who was protecting them. In Revelation 2.14, John writes that Balaam taught King Balak how to cast a stumbling block before the Israelites so that they ate meat offered to idols and committed fornication the first few verses of numbers 25 tell us about israel's sin in that regard it looks like balaam had opportunity to serve god but his worldly appetite his desire to serve his pagan king and gain riches and honor was stronger and his desire to serve the one true God. Moses' job on earth is finished. God tells him he will not enter the promised land, but God shows him the promised land from the top of a mountain. Moses was to die at the age of 120. The commentary in my Bible says that Moses was a writer of Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, verse 10, it says, he says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Moses might have written that when he was a shepherd, when he was 70 or 80 years old. David wrote Psalms when he was a shepherd. When you're tending sheep, it is good to have something else to occupy your mind. Maybe Moses thought 80 years was all he was going to get, but he didn't know that herding sheep was on the job training for the next job that God had for him. Moses was to lead the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. The last words of Psalm 90 verse 10 say that soon life is gone and we fly away. I like that. It reminds me of the song that says some fine morning when the lot li- when this life is over, I'll fly away. I want that song sung at my funeral. After God passes the mantle from Moses to Joshua and Moses is dead and buried by God on the mountain. This is not the last time we see Moses in the Bible. In Matthew seventeen. And in the ninth chapter of Mark and Luke, it tells us about a time when Jesus took Peter and James and his brother John up on a mountain. And there Jesus was changed in appearance, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as snow. As white as light. Also, Moses and Elijah came and stood there with him and talked with him. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter said something about Moses and Elijah. It appears that Peter recognized who Moses and Elijah were, even though they had never met before. I have read that when we go to heaven, we will recognize people like that and maybe everyone there. The very presence will reveal who they are. We will know everyone there. In the 11th chapter of Revelation, it tells about two witnesses who will prophesy for three and a half years. They will have power to perform miracles and destroy those who come against them. After three and a half years, the beast from the bottom of the pit will kill them. Three and a half days later, the Spirit of God will bring them back to life, and they will ascend into heaven. Some people believe that those two witnesses will be Elijah and Moses because they came and talked to Jesus on the mountain and because they were both powerful prophets. The Bible doesn't say who the two witnesses will be they might be Elijah and Moses. However, in Hebrews 9, 27, it says, It is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Because of that verse, I believe that maybe Elijah is one of the two witnesses, but maybe not Moses. Moses had already died once after 120 years on this earth, but Elijah did not die. In 2 Kings 2, 11 and 12, it tells us he was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. The only other person mentioned in the Bible who never died is Enoch, the father of Methuselah. In the fifth chapter of Genesis, he went walking with God and God took him. First chapter of Jude tells us Enoch was a prophet. I think the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are Elijah and Enoch, because they haven't died yet, and the witnesses are killed by the beast, and it is appointed to man once to die. On the other hand, other people have been raised from the dead by Jesus and his disciples and prophets, and we assume they died again, but maybe they just ascended into heaven later, or maybe... The two witnesses in Revelation weren't in the Old Testament, but were or will be born in time to serve God against the Antichrist. Who knows? God knows. In verse 16, God told Moses he was going to sleep with his fathers, and the Israelites would turn their backs to God. So Moses was going to get some rest, and God wasn't. God was tired of the Israelites. God said his anger would be kindled against them on that day. God wasn't making the Israelites sin against God, but God knew ahead of time they were going to do it. Just because God knows what is going to happen doesn't mean God foreordained for it to happen. The people would suffer the natural and spiritual consequences of the rebellion against God. God said that after the Israelites went into the promised land, they would grow fat and comfortable and turn against God and start worshiping other gods that the previous inhabitants of the land worshiped. God gave a song to Moses to write down and to teach the Israelites. It was a song about how they were gonna fail big time and suffer the consequences. God wanted them to learn the song and pass it down through their generations so they would remember that God had given them the warning. They would remember the song so they wouldn't have the excuse that they didn't know. The song would serve as a lesson for the people who were mostly illiterate, but would remember the words to the song warning about something they wouldn't read about. In Deuteronomy 31, 23, Moses told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Moses also told the same thing to Joshua in the 6th and 7th verses, be strong and courageous. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 6, God himself told Joshua, be strong and courageous. God also told Joshua the same thing again and again. In verses 7 and 9 and verse 18, be strong and courageous. Joshua got the message. In Joshua ten twenty-five. after his army, with the power and protection of God, won a war against five kings and the armies Joshua told his men, be strong and courageous. In Deuteronomy 32 47, Joshua told the people to remember the words he told them before he died. It would be their life and would prolong their days in the promised land. God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. God told Joshua, Every place Joshua sets foot, that place would be given over to him. It was a promise from God. God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. He needed to do what God commanded him to do. He needed to go where God told him to go. His job was to command the army of God's people and defeat the enemies. The enemies were the current inhabitants of the land. Their time was up. It was time for Joshua and his men to sweep the enemy out and inhabit the land God was giving to them. God told Joshua something else. Joshua needed to read the instruction manual. Moses had written down God's word that was given to Moses. It was called the law. uh, Joshua needed to read it daily. He needed to meditate on it daily. It was God's instruction manual for him and all God's people. Up to this this time in Bible history, God spoke directly to the people he was choosing to lead the way. God spoke to Adam and Eve in person. God spoke to Noah in person. God spoke to Abraham in person. God spoke to Jacob and his son Joseph in dreams. God spoke to Moses in person. When God spoke to Moses, Moses wrote it down. Moses wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote the first five books of the Bible inspired by God to write it all. Now Joshua was told by God to read what was written by Moses and to meditate on it daily. Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, and so it began, 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over about 1,600 years. Joshua was the first serious reader of the Word of God. He was told to read and meditate on the law, which was what the books written by Moses were called. Those of us who serve God today need to read and meditate on the Word of God. God wants to speak to us like He spoke to Adam and Eve and the patriarchs, and He will do that through the Word of God. We read the inspired Word of God, and the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of it and applies it to our lives and transforms our minds. Before taking god's people into the promised land joshua sent two spies in to check out the people and the city of jericho and the surrounding territory 40 years before joshua was one of only two spies who brought back a positive report from the other side of the jordan river He knew they were going to attack Jericho, so all they needed was a reconnaissance report to inform their strategy for takeover. The two men went into the city and moved throughout it and looked and listened and maybe were going to do the same thing again the next day. But first they needed a place to spend the night. They found a house built on the wall of the city that looked like it might be an inn open for business. They asked to spend the night and were welcomed. It might have been an inn, a full service inn. The owner of the house was Rahab, a harlot. In any case, it was a good location for two spies to spend the night. It was on the wall, and if they had to, they could climb down from a window to the outside of the city and be gone. Some other people all had noticed the two strangers moving around, trying to be inconspicuous. There was something different about them. They were seen going into Rahab's house. They were reported to the king of that city-state. The king knew that a very large army of people were on the other side of the river and had probably sent spies to check out Jericho. The king sent officers to get those men for questioning. Word got back to Rahab and she hid them on the roof beneath some stalks of flax that she had stored up there. When the officers came to the door, she told them two men had been there but had left before the city gates closed at dark. She told them if they wanted to catch the men, they had better go out and chase them down. The king's officers left in a hurry out to gates and toward the river. Rahab told the spies they had better go down from her house window to the other side of the wall. They should not go straight back to the river because they would run into the king's men. They should go to the mountain and wait for three days until the king's men returned to the city then they should go back across the river. Rahab knew that Joshua's army was going to come and destroy the city of Jericho. Even so, she helped the spies. She was ready to make a life change, to go to the side of God's people. She made a deal with the two men. She had helped them and would keep that information from the authorities of jericho in exchange she wanted safety for herself and her father and mother and brothers and sisters the spies agreed to the deal she was to hang a red rope out from her window the same rope the spies were climbing down to safety she was to have every member of her family in the house when the time came if they wanted their lives to be spared. The men then climbed down, went to the mountain for three days and then back to Commander Joshua. They told Joshua about their adventure and all they could discover about Jericho and the surrounding terrain. They let Joshua know that the people of Jericho were afraid of God's army. They also told him about how Rahab had helped them and the deal they had made with her. It was time for God's people to cross the Jordan River. God stopped the flow of the Jordan River by making the waters flowing from upstream to pile up against an invisible wall like a dam made of glass. The waters downstream from the location moved on down and away from the place where the priest stood with the ark of the covenant not only that but the path cleared for the israelites became dry ground not what you would expect from a riverbed that the moment before was underwater it had been 40 years since the israelites crossed on dry ground between walls of water of the red sea in this nation of israelites No one was over 60 years old except Caleb and Joshua. Only those over 40 years old were witnesses to the crossing of the Red Sea. Those who were 40 and under had never seen a miracle like this. They had heard about it from their parents, but now seeing is believing. In the book of Numbers, we read that the Israelites were more than 600,000 people In the book of Joshua, many had died, all those over 60 years old except Joshua and Caleb. But others had been born and grew up along the way. Close to two-thirds of a million people crossed over the Jordan River, riverbed on dry land, while water stood up on one side of the crossing and water on the other side was going on down to the Dead Sea. The people in Jericho and other people in the land heard about this crossing of the Red Sea 40 years before and Joshua chapter two, Rahab from Jericho told the spies that people in Jericho knew the story. She told them this before their people crossed the Jordan river. No doubt the people of Jericho had people watching that miracle from a distance. This miracle was meant to impress the people of Jericho also to put the fear of God in them before the city was put under siege by Joshua's army. God knew the people of Israel had a tendency to forget what God had done for them. God wanted them to remember God told Joshua to choose a man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And while the riverbed was dry with the priest holding the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the riverbed, those 12 men were to go there and choose 12 large river rocks, hoist them up on their shoulders and carry them out to where Joshua told them to take them. River rocks are different from just any old rocks. They are worn smooth by erosion from the flowing water. You can tell by looking at them that they are rocks from the river, worn smooth by erosion. Joshua built a memorial, putting those rocks together in one pile in such a way that you could tell someone put them there on purpose. They were large stones, so they made an impressive pile of rocks. They were put there so people would see them and talk about why they were there. They were to remind the people that God himself had parted that river close by so that 600,000-plus people chosen by God could cross over on dry land. And, of course, we know that we worship the same God today. This story is kind of like that impressive pile of rocks to remind us of God's power, and teach us about the God we worship. And what a great reason to read and study the Bible, as Joshua did, to remember and learn about the God we worship. And if we keep reading through the first five books, and through Joshua and the Psalms and the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament, we see how the whole thing points to Jesus. And if we read through the Gospels, we see how Jesus, through the cross, made it possible for us to know and have fellowship with the Father through the Holy Spirit that the Israelites in Moses and Joshua's day weren't able to. In 2 Corinthians three fourteen through 16 we see the veil is lifted by the Holy Spirit. The fellowship is revealed in Christ. After the Israelites entered the promised land, they camped out amid acres of corn. They harvested that corn. They cooked it up and ate it. This was their first food to eat from the promised land. And they didn't get manna from heaven the next morning as they had for 40 years. They didn't need it anymore. There was plenty of food in the promised land. The people were waiting for Joshua to tell them it was time to attack the city of Jericho. Joshua was spending time alone, thinking, meditating strategizing he was waiting on god to inspire him with a battle plan then he looked up and saw a warrior standing before him with his sword in hand joshua didn't recognize this man he said to him are you for us or against us the man said neither i am captain of the host of the lord in other words he was saying I'm not on one side or the other, you better be on my side. Joshua bowed down to the ground. He said, what does my Lord have to say to me? The warrior said, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. Joshua took off his shoes. The captain of the host of the Lord was in charge and he told Joshua the battle plan. And this is how it went, as commanded by the captain of the host of the Lord. Joshua's army started early in the morning and marched around the city silently. Maybe the sound of marching feet could be heard, but not a word. They were followed by seven priests carrying ram's horns. Then followed those who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. An ornate container built according to god's instructions holding inside it the stone tablets on which god wrote the ten commandments others followed the ark of the covenant after they marched around the city one time the priest sounded the ram's horns then the army marched silently away that was the first day every day for six days They did exactly the same routine. The seventh day started out the same way, but they did not go around the city only one time. They marched quietly around the city seven times, then sounded the ram's horns, then all of the people shouted and the walls of Jericho fell flat. Then the army went in and took the city. Because God ordered it, they killed everyone in the city, except Rahab and her family, who stayed with her in that house, in her house. The details are not given here about how it came about, but I have often wondered how Rahab and her house stayed together when the wall fell. Her house was built on top of the wall. The wall came down. Her house came down. She and her family were still alive. It is a miracle. She and her family were saved from destruction. <clears throat> we talked about the destruction of Jericho and the survival of a prostitute and her family. We were not who, who were not killed when all the other citizens of Jericho were killed. Rahab saved her family from death because she helped the Israeli spies get safely out of Jericho so they can go back to Joshua to give a report on the city that was to be destroyed. Rahab later married one of God's chosen people and became one of the ancestors of the future King David and distant future King of Kings, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We need to be aware that God wasn't sending his chosen people in to kill a bunch of innocent people. They were idol worshipers. They had a long history of sinning against God and against each other. It was time for them to be destroyed, to make room for God's chosen people. This land belonged to God and so did the people. God had created the land and the people. God decides for each of us when it is time to give it up. It was now time for the Canaanites to give it up. God gave the victory. He destroyed the walls of Jericho. The walls crashing down killed some people. God's people were told to go in and kill all the survivors. The Israeli soldiers were told not to take any trophies of war no personal treasures. They were told to destroy and burn everything, but they were to take the silver and gold and items of iron and bronze and put them into the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua and hundreds of thousands of his soldiers obeyed God. One man did not. He figured, who would know? No one took an inventory before they destroyed the city. No one would miss a little bit of gold and silver. Joshua and his men went on from there to destroy the walled city of Ai. Joshua looked at the size of the city and only sent in a few thousand men. They went in and got whooped. The AI defenders chased them away after killing some of the mighty men of God. Joshua had a talk with God. God told him about the unfaithful soldier who stole from God. By taking Jericho treasure for himself, that man and his family were stoned to death. To appease the wrath of God and set an example for everyone else. The Israelites went back to the city of Ai and the power of God and destroyed the city. This time, they were allowed to take the spoils as personal rewards for destroying the inhabitants of the city. News spread. Other cities decided to band together to protect themselves against the Israelites. Five kings formed a coalition to wage war against the Israelites. The people of the city of Gibeon didn't want to join that coalition. They knew God had empowered the Israelites to destroy the cities of Jericho and Ai. They decided to employ some deceptive diplomacy. They sent a group of men dressed in worn out clothes, carrying provisions of moldy bread and a little bit of wine and some old wineskins they wanted to appear to have been traveling a long distance they were good actors the israelites believed them they said they came in peace and wanted to have peaceful relations with the group of mighty warriors that it, they had heard about the reason for the ruse was <clears throat> they knew The israelites were conquering the land and destroying the cities and killing the inhabitants of the land (coughs) so they pretended to be from some far off land that the israelites wouldn't be interested in the israelites were reasonable people they saw themselves as civilized people peace-loving people even though they were on a mission from God to conquer the land they invaded, killing the inhabitants and taking their stuff. But they had nothing against these people who were seeking to have a peaceful relationship with them. So they made a treaty for a peaceful agreement with them, which included protecting these poor people from invaders. The Israelites should have prayed about it first they were on God's war path. They shouldn't have taken it upon themselves to decide who to have peace with. Three days later, the Israelites discovered the Gibeonites were really their neighbors and should have been one of those cities they were supposed to destroy. But now they couldn't do that. They had made a pact with them. The Israeli people were men of honor, and they had to honor their word. They wouldn't kill them. Instead, they would just make them their servants. The Gimeonites submitted to them, seeing that as better than being dead.